What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. My name is Aaron Stroh. I am the CMO of W2O and the host of the What to Know podcast show. And we have a fun format today. Uh, This is the third episode of 2021. So far, the year's off to a mostly better start. And I'm excited to be speaking to two of my colleagues. And you know, you've heard that saying, something borrowed, something uh, blue, something old, something new. So we joked mm-hmm. as we were prepping this that uh, Mary Claire Duke, who is the president of W2O Pure is hardly old. She's much younger than both of us, but she has been here for a while. And so she really has seen all of the, the things that have gone down at W2O. Uh, we have our newest colleague who I'm excited to bring on, which is Jonathan Woodring. He's the EVP and general manager of IPM.ai. You're going to learn lots more about what that is. For any of you that don't know, uh, we announced the acquisition of Swoop and IPM a couple of weeks ago. Um, and this is really meant to bring us together and show you how not only are we already uh, marrying sort of our practices with this amazing technology and uh, um, approach, but it's really, we've been working with these groups for a while now. So there was already some muscle memory. And during this conversation that I'm gonna have with Mary Claire and with Jonathan, I think you'll really see that come to bear. So one of the things that we're gonna talk about is um, how these solutions are solving some of our clients' challenges. Cause at the end of the day, we're all about helping do that. And we want those outside the company to understand that these types of approaches can work. And by the way, hint, hint, if you want to come and use IPM or Swoop, uh, we highly encourage you to do that. You know, we use a tech-enabled approach and, you know, the partnership we've built is only getting deeper and coming, you know, bringing to bear new sort of um, new things that we never thought were even possible. So with that, I'm going to welcome you both. You know, thank you for joining us today. Uh, it's been an exciting few weeks and we did do a town hall a couple of weeks ago. So we had a little bit of an internal trial run, which was great, but let's talk a little bit about, you know, your role. So I've given your titles. I haven't really talked about what those are. So I think Mary Claire, maybe we could go first with you and talk a little bit about what does a day in the life look like and what is your remit? Sure. So thanks Aaron and happy to be uh, chatting with you today. Um, as Aaron said, I'm kind of one of the legacy W2Ers having been here for over 14 years. Um, so I currently run W2O Pure, which is a portfolio of life sciences business. And that ranges everything from companies who are really just launching with a series A financing all the way through, um, you know, multi-billion dollar commercial life sciences and everything in between. Um, so really focused on, you know, bringing integrated communication solutions to address um, whatever need they might have. Awesome. And I'm really excited. You know, I, w- I would have to say that of the 14 years I've been here, you know, we've continually brought on new offerings and new really smart people to all based in what our clients need and what those next solutions might be. And of all of them, the IPM.ai and Swoop acquisition is really um, one of the most excite, exciting ones that I've seen and one of the ones that has real, true, um, immediately, immediate relevancy for our business. Well, and it's interesting because I think when I joined in 2011, so I'm closing in on 10 years myself, we had about 225 employees. I think you were probably closer to 100 back when you first joined. We're close to 1,500 now, Jonathan and his team being some of the newest Jonathan, let's talk a little bit about what does a day in the life for you look like so that people can get a better sense of what 
uh, IPM brings to the table. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, I think a, a day in the life of um, has certainly changed for us over the last couple of weeks as we've gotten integrated into a new company and a new culture. Uh, I think what's exciting is that even pre-acquisition, a day in the life looks a lot like it does now in terms of dealing with the same kinds of challenges that Mary Claire and team have been working with. Um, we come at it from an analytical perspective. We come at it from a patient-centric analytic perspective. And so I think uh, as we think about joining forces moving forward, and what it looks like, the good news is that a day in the life in terms of the clients we serve looks a lot similar in November than it does in January. And we're excited about that. Well, that's a great uh, explanation. So thank you. That's helpful for me as well. I do want to drill into something, right? So we hear the word digital transformation a lot. Um, you know, we've been around this for the last couple of decades, and it means something very different today than it did 20 years ago. We don't have to hear that annoying AOL dial-up sound for anyone that remembers that, right? Um, but, you know, the words tech enablement do get thrown around a lot, along with things like artificial intelligence and machine learning. In the context of our clients' needs, how do you define tech enablement? Jonathan, I don't know if you want to go first or Mary Claire. I'm happy to kick that off. Um, you know, for me, I think it's really thinking about how we use these new technologies or better use existing technologies to really help clients um, achieve their business advance their business more efficiently. So, you know, when I think of the clients that I serve, that could be using technology to help a startup better understand how to define and articulate the, the market opportunity that they're really going after, or that could be helping a client enroll a clinical trial more efficiently, or ultimately allowing them to identify more patients that they can really help with their therapies. And, you know, that's from a true business perspective. And then I think what's so exciting for me as a communicator is we can really use all of that same technology to be more effective communicators. So when I first started out in the business, um, you know, little hint or a little secret here, you know, there's a lot of throwing spaghetti at the wall and kind of, you know, coming up with some storylines and figuring, you know, what might stick and gone, thankfully, um, for us and for our clients, uh, those, those days are long gone. So, you know, tapping into our analytics colleagues and our IPM.ai colleagues, we can really now develop messaging and programs that we know will resonate with our stakeholders. We can target our programming more efficiently to reach them. You know, so I like to think of it as just making us a lot smarter about how we communicate, when we communicate, and to whom we communicate. Yeah, you bring up a great point before we go to Jonathan, and that is that, you know, we as an organization have embraced data and analytics and, you know, insights for a long time, right? So I want to think that when Jonathan and Ron and the team came into the, the fold, we were ready for them, right? They up-leveled our game significantly because the stuff they do is mind-blowing and you'll hear more about that as Jonathan talks about it. But it is one of those things where early, early days, there was a lot of spaghetti. I think we got better over the years and now there is that sort of readiness for the precision. And I do also want to touch on part of why we have you here today, Mary Claire, is you can have the best technology in the world. You can have the best science in the world. If you don't do a good job at communicating about it, then it all goes for naught. And that really is one of the value propositions that I know our CEO, Jim Weiss, talks a lot about. And it's part of why this is such a perfect marriage, a little peanut butter and uh, chocolate, if you if you may. Jonathan, uh, I'd love to hear your perspective. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Mary Claire. I guess for me, um, part of what, what I'm excited about is, is tech enablement. Tech enablement is really embedded into the DNA of our team. Um, it's, it's as every bit about the people as it is about the tech. And I think, 
you see over the last five, even 10 years, really this explosion of RWE, real world evidence into both cl clinical and commercial use cases. And I think having the data, right, is really table stakes. Um, I think the, the special sauce, the tech enablement is really knowing how that data is collected, how it's aggregated from clearinghouses, how pharma has traditionally used that data retrospectively rather than leveraging machine learning, looking prospectively. Um, and so I think what we're going to do, it's, it's that domain expertise with the technical infrastructure that we have on the swoop side of the business um, that's really going to make what we do here so special. Um, the other thing I would say, Aaron, if it's okay, is, is tech enablement for me is also very much a cultural shift, um, both for the industry and on the service side. Um, data can tell its own story if it's, if it's interrogated the right way, if it's structured the right way, if people know what they're looking for and how and why. Um, and I think we need to be able to and be willing to listen to that story to anchor business decisions and empirical evidence. So I think sometimes a part about the tech enablement is, are we willing to listen? So uh, you couldn't have brought up a better point, Jonathan. And I think it's something we struggled with for a long time because there were some early days and Mary Claire can remember this where um, it was kind of like we ran an analysis and we'd show up with like 10 pounds of analytics at the end with very little insights. And it was because at that time we weren't mature enough to really interrogate the data. And I think sometimes people sort of hope that this needle is going to mythic or magically appear in the haystack. And it really does take the right approach and the right data and the right processes that run through that. And we've learned that over the years, but you, you all really bring that to a science. So thank you for touching on that. Mary Claire, I do want to talk, talk to something you spoke about earlier, right? And that is, is that you've done a lot of um, life science company launches. For those in the audience that aren't well-versed in the world of emerging biotech companies, it's a very unique sort of um, space. These are basically firms that venture capital, they're venture capital funded. They're launching new drugs and, you know, with the promise of the science that sits behind those drugs. They're selling their management teams. That's not unique for any good company, right, that's in there, but it takes a very sort of unique type of management team. Uh, and they have to plan to address the market need. You can't just show up and say, well, we've got a drug. We don't really know what it does, but, you know, we hope it helps somebody. So the very nature of them being a startup in the market you know, they're seeking to address is that it's so unknown and so untapped. You know, can you speak a little bit about, you know, why in the past that's been a problem and then why today with IPM, like that gives companies such a good vision in terms of market sizing and answering some of these questions that they might not normally have the answers to? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's crazy to think that we're not even done with January yet. And we've launched, uh, W2O, we've launched three new uh, biotech companies just in the past month alone. Um, and I think, you know, any of us who've been tracking the industry saw just a, an incredible flow of money, both private and public, into the sector last year. And, you know, 2020 VC funding for biotech hit an all-time high. I believe our last count it was $26 billion of private money flowing into startups. So, you know, huge opportunity, of course, but also huge, you know, challenge and kind of, you know, for the industry to, for each, every individual company to stand out and tell a compelling story. You know, and the reality is a lot of these companies are sort of launching into unknown markets. They're not going after mass markets of diabetes, cholesterol, et cetera, because quite frankly, those markets are saturated. There's not necessarily, you know, a ton of room or, or need um, for innovation and the, and the return on investment you're going to you're going to get there. So, you know, you're absolutely right, Aaron. In order to attract not only financing but in order to attract talent, um, these companies need to put forth a very compelling business plan 
um, on exactly what does this market look like? And, you know, we can't go in with a wing and a prayer. We have to say, yes, this might be a rare disease that you've never heard of. You Google it, you know, maybe an obscure Wikipedia page comes up. But for me as a, as a potential employee or me as a potential investor, tell me more. Where are these patients? How can I trust you that you say, you know, there, there are 5,000 patients in the, in the United States in total. Great. How do you know where they are? How do you think you're actually eventually going to reach those physicians who in turn reach those patients and are going to give me, you know, confidence that you, you guys are the ones to do it um, and the ones, you know, to kind of credibly um, you know, sell me, sell me that story. So I think what IPM brings to the table is, is exactly that. It's that data and insights that can say, hey, this is exactly what your, you know, what your market looks like. We can back it up, um, you know, and let us tell you how. So, Jonathan, I'm sure you, you have more to say on that. No, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think the, the, the synergies, as we've got to know from the start, the synergies between our client bases are are obviously quite clear. But I think any company in this market segment, um, to use your language, with, with credible science and a stellar management team, they're sort of constantly facing those questions, right, from, from their VCs. And while, you know, unlike diabetes, where there's sort of a known launch footprint, known launch blueprint, all of those are different for a lot of these rare diseases, the following questions are consistent, right? What's the total market size? How much of it is addressable? How will we find our patients for clinical trials? Which physicians will diagnose or treat these patients? Where are the KOLs? Um, and so I think th that standard set of questions um, exists. And so based on the, the, the footprint, the relationship that W2 has in this space by nature of uh, the comms business, these are all questions that, that your clients and our clients are asking and, th and that we're, we're answering now together, which is really powerful. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, one of the common themes that's come up a few times um, you know, especially in the pandemic, I was talking to the woman that was the head of biostatistics at GSK on a podcast that we did with her, I want to say back in November. It's amazing how this real world evidence and this data and these structures and this ability to sort of use data to answer questions that we never could before because we either didn't have access to them, we didn't have the processing power, we didn't have the frameworks. It really, it's quite amazing and it's powerful. I mean, we saw vaccines launch in record time and I think we're going to see more breakthroughs like that because of these very technologies. Speaking of this whole digital transformation, which, you know, we have seen really fast forwarded by COVID, if there's any silver lining, you know, there's a few, that's certainly one of them. In regard, you know, to our clients, specifically across the clinical and commercial ecosystem, what does this work look like five years from now? We're seeing a lot already has changed. We know it's going to change a lot more. So I don't know, Jonathan or Mary Claire, which one do you want to field this one first? Yeah, and I'm happy to take a crack. Um, you know, so to your point, 2020 kind of changed everything, right? And I think, you know, 2020 forced us into a quote-unquote digital transformation, whether we were ready or not, across both, you know, our personal um, and professional lives. So, you know, it's always that we've always talked about digital as kind of a way, a way of living and a way of working. You know, it's not a channel kind of in and of itself. So, you know, if I'm looking at my crystal ball and think through, okay, five years from now, what does this look like? I would argue there's not, you know, one part of the healthcare ecosystem that does not have technology truly at its core. So, you know, whether that's from the rise of telehealth, not just in the commercial setting, which is obviously, I think all of us as consumers of healthcare and patients have experienced over the last year, but, you know, and even in the clinical trial setting, to the transformation of kind of non-personal promotion and how companies actually need to evolve to interact with their customers. 
And then I think, you know, to how healthcare companies even engage with their own employees, I think, you know, the, the game has definitely changed in 2020. And I think, you know, nothing but more of that to come over the next couple of years. Great answer. Jonathan? Yeah, yeah. Well, our crystal balls are telling us the same thing, I guess. And I think, you know, you mentioned clinical trials. I think, you know, things that were already on their way in the clinical trial space, such as synthetic control arms, decentralized clinical trials. I mean, that is digital transformation as well, right? I think it's such a such a broad umbrella, but I think COVID has, of course, exacerbated that and, and made that more more and more of a necessity, right? Rather than rather than something optional. So I think we'll continue to see more of that. I think that the the clinical trial space is is certainly evolving, and and um, again, with with or without COVID moving forward, we will continue to see that digital transformation in the form of uh, of clinical trial evolution. Well, I love those answers. It makes my head hurt a little bit, but um, it's it's a great sort of look forward. And, you know, I think it's just going to make us better and make the world healthier and help close the gap and some of these difficult to solve problems. Um, so thank you. You both provided such a great interview of how our clients benefit from these new offerings and how we're working closely together. Uh, you both, probably Jonathan a little bit, Mary Claire a lot, have heard our CEO talk a lot about people mattering first you know, working more closely together. He's really been on this war path, which is a good war path of connecting the dots, integrating, collaborating, right? Because that's when you do that, uh, we have much better outcomes for what we do. And it is all about, you know, being more nimble, being more digitally, you know, transformed, tech enabled. With all that said, this is the part of the interview where I like to get to the fun answers or the slightly fun answers, right? So we move away from the science and the tech and the communications and I have a couple of questions that I ask all my guests. This is one of my favorite parts. I've been asking people, and it's particularly poignant during a pandemic, but it's a theoretical, you could have one wish. Uh, it could be anything you want. What would that wish be and why? And Jonathan, I think I have you up first for this one. Well, I guess I, I'll, I'll build on that theme of people mattering. Um, I have lots of wishes, but I'll build on that theme of, of people mattering. And I completely agree that people matter and, and I'll push it for how you treat other people really matters a lot. So um, I think that I wish that would everyone, right, both personally and professionally would always act with integrity. Um, somebody once told me in my old boss that it stuck with me. Integrity is doing the right thing at all times, even if no one is watching. And that's really a powerful statement that stuck with me um, that I use to kind of guide me and, and, and push on my teams every day to act with integrity. And it really matters. Um, and so I guess, Aaron, in this context of people mattering, I wish that everyone would always act with integrity. Well, that's a great wish. And, you know, I've, I've had some pretty profound answers and that definitely is up there because I think if you're in integrity, then you're always doing the right thing. And so thank you. That's That's really, that's a good one for me to think about when I read your sort of initial thoughts on that, that made me smile because I like that. And I'm sure Mary Claire will have an equally uh, amazing wish that she's going to get granted. It's tough to follow. Um, I'll, I'll give you that. But, you know, mine is actually somewhat related to that and certainly grounded in people. And this is another kind of, you know, value that we live throughout our, our organization is that I wish is that, you know, everyone, no matter kind of what walk of life you're in or come from, um, that everyone feels comfortable being their true authentic selves in any environment, you know, and I think this has become very real to me and, and very top of mind over the past year as I've, you know, gotten a front row seat um, for better or worse, usually for better, um, you know, being in a house 24 hours a day with my two kids who are 15 and 16. 
Um, so, you know, interesting times kind of navigating the, the highs and lows of, of um, starting high school and then, you know, in your junior year in high school in this environment. So, you know, as I see that and kind of see, you know, that the good, the bad, the ugly and the great, um, you know, I just tell them as long as you're true to yourself and your beliefs and your values, you can't go wrong. So, you know, I, I wish everyone could be that fortunate um, to have that in their life. Well, it's a great compliment, you know, and I think just in relation to kids, it's the thing that we can do the most for our kids, especially during these tricky times, is allowing our children to be their selves, right? And at work, allowing our employees, our colleagues, you know, our direct reports to be their selves, and and that's really a, a profound statement as well. So thank you both for that. So the final, and this is sort of a fun one, I'm a music nerd. I'm, it's one of the things that's hurt me the most during the pandemic is not being able to go to any live music. But I've been asking this one since the beginning, which is uh, you're on a proverbial deserted island. You know, you can bring one album with you. Which album would it be and why? And I love, you know, sort of to get people's answers. The album piece is fun, but it's really the thought process that goes behind this. So, uh, Mary Claire, I'll let you go first on this one. All right. Um, Well, I'm just going to go with a great album of the 80s, being a child of the 80s myself. And it would be U2's Joshua Tree. I'm a little bit of a U2 freak. I used to, in my high school days, kind of travel all over the country to see them. Um, but yeah, Joshua Tree is just a classic. And I think um, from my perspective, really a classic that I would argue needs no uh, explanation. But reach out to me personally if you want to hear more. <laughs> yes, well, that that is uh, one that was, will be near and dear to my heart, as well as Paulo Simas's heart, uh, who has also been on the podcast. He leads our branding practice. And He's gone to see them numerous times and they're an amazing band. So that's a great one. Uh, Jonathan, why don't you bring us home? I like your choice as well, because I know I cheated, but I know what yours is. And uh, talk to us a little bit about your yeah. I, I too miss live music. I'm, I'm definitely much more of a live music fan myself. And I would certainly prefer to have a, a live live show on that uh, desert island there. But I guess that's not an option. So I think short of that, I would take uh, Talking Heads, Stop Making Sense, uh, all day, every day. Love that album. Uh, love David Byrne. Um, if you've never seen him or them live, I had the chance to see him live a couple years ago, and it, it is quite the performance. So that's what I would use. Well, great choice, great album. Uh, I love the tie-in to the live music. And so with that, we'll bring us home. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O, host of the What to Know podcast show. And I've had the pleasure of being joined by two of my colleagues, Mary Claire Duke, who, as I mentioned, was the president of W2O Pure, and Jonathan Woodring, one of our newer um, colleagues, EVP and general manager of IPM.ai. Mary Claire, Jonathan, thank you so much. And uh, you did a gorgeous job because I know you weren't ready to quite do this without a net, and you did it without a net, and you both were amazing. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Aaron. Great conversation. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at whogroup.com slash whattoknow.